And now, deep thoughts. Hey, you're listening to Deep Thoughts, where every episode explores one aspect of the Christian faith a little more deeply. I'm your host, Matt Schantz, and in this episode, I sit down with former Member of Parliament Chuck Straw to talk about faith and politics. Chuck was elected to the House of Commons in 1993 and was re-elected in six consecutive elections before retiring from Parliament. He filled a number of parliamentary roles while in opposition from 93 to 06, including House Leader and Deputy Speaker. Upon Stephen Harper's Conservatives winning the election, he served in several senior roles, including Minister of Agriculture, Minister of Indian Affairs and Northern Development, and Minister of Transport and Infrastructure. Chuck is a man of deep conviction and faith. He resides in Chilliwack, where I live and pastor, and is an elder in his church. Now, a couple of disclaimers right out of the gate. First, I do not have a partisan agenda here. While Chuck was a Conservative Party MP, and we'll talk about that and how he wants them to win in the next election, my rationale for having him on the podcast is that he represented the riding that I live in for nearly 20 years in Ottawa, and did so with humility, courage, integrity, and faith, and that's not easy to do in life, let alone in politics. So I respect that a lot and think that's what makes him the right guest for this episode. Second, and this is attached to the first disclaimer, the timing of this conversation is intentional. There is not a looming election in the coming days at the moment. My goal is not to steer you toward a particular political party or leader in the lead up to an election. My goal is to help Christians think Christianly about politics and to have a dialogue about the subject with a Christian politician and no, that's not an oxymoron, Christian politician. And third, while I thank the number of American and other international listeners for tuning into Deep Thoughts, I really want this conversation about faith and politics to be rooted in the Canadian context. Look, we get so much American news, including political news, that I find that many Canadians know a lot about American politics and very little about Canadian politics. And there are vast differences, some of which we'll get into in this episode. And to be involved in politics, whether it's locally, provincially, or federally, is something that happens in the country we reside in. And that's Canada for 80% of Deep Thoughts listeners. This conversation is at least an hour long, but I found it to be fascinating. There was nothing off limits, and we get into all kinds of stuff. So now, without further ado, here's my deep conversation with Chuck Straw. Hi, Chuck Straw. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Well, it's good to be here. Thanks for having me. So I've actually, we've known each other for quite a few years yeah, it goes goes back to uh, childhood days. Really, our, uh, you were you were at school with my my kids. Yeah, so that lets people know how old I'm getting. Like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and one of your daughters uh, attends here as well as in yes. the church, where church I pastor. So uh, get to see you from time to time yep. as well. And uh, I was doing a wedding, and you were there saying you were going to do a wedding shortly after. So. 
yeah. that, that went okay? Yeah, I did. I, I, I did a, my one and only wedding in, in Alberta. They allow uh, ex-member of parliament to, uh, to be officiating at a wedding. So I, a friend of mine's son, who I knew fairly well, uh, was getting married, and they're not church folks. And uh, but he knew I had that background, I guess. So yeah, yeah I, I had the pulpit all to myself there for a few minutes to yeah. you know wax eloquent. <laughs> it's uh, it's high pressure stakes. You don't yeah. want to mess up somebody's wedding. <laughs> no, right? I know. I I didn't I didn't do too bad anyway. I did a couple of little glitches, but you know that just keeps the wedding interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Knew your kids. Uh, spent some time at your house and stuff. I remember being at your home. Uh, one evening and the phone rang and someone in your family picked it up and then called for you and was like, it's Preston Manning. Okay. And to me, that was just the wildest thing because, you know, me and my parents had just watched Preston Manning impersonations on this hour is 22 okay, minutes yeah. and all that good fun. <laughs> and so that was your world. Um, you were a member of parliament for nearly 20 years uh, and personally always admired the way you, you carried yourself and sort of known as a man of integrity, man of his word, and uh, appreciate that about you and uh, the opportunity to have this conversation about faith and politics. So um, because that's the subject matter, why don't we just start at the beginning? How did you come to faith and how did you get involved in politics? Right. Well, they weren't synonymous. They weren't like, they yeah. don't all happen on the same day. Uh, but I, I came to that faith. That would be shocking yeah, if they were would synonymous. Be probably, yeah. Yeah. But anyway, I was a young married guy and uh, we had a couple of kids and we used to go to the Alliance Church. We still go to the Alliance Church, but we used to go to the old church site on Henderson Avenue where, when it was over there. And and uh, we went because it was good for the the children, you know, take the children, and they went to to church or to to a Sunday school, and and we didn't go to church, but we went because we had to kill an hour anyway. We ended up going to young married couples Sunday school, hmm. and uh, and then one day my dad uh, said, you know, you know, if you want to stay for church, I'll take you out for lunch after, and you know that's a big deal because you know you you're young, married, no money, <laughs> he, he's picking up the tab, right? So. I thought, okay, well, maybe we should. We've been attending the Sunday school for a while. And uh, so we decided, okay, we'll stay for, for church. And unknown to me, and I got down, sat in the chair in the pew, and looked up, and it was Communion Sunday. So Communion Sunday is, of course, a kind of a, you know, it's a decision time moment. You know, like mm. you, you, you know, you they make it quite clear you don't have to take communion. You know, there's no obligation. But if you do take communion, you know, you know, you should mean it. Like you should know what it's about, and you should have uh, uh, asked God for forgiveness and and uh, so on. And so I looked up, and I knew it was decision time. Like I, I huh. had kind of skirted the issue, and <laughs> you know, I knew how to act in church. I didn't smoke, I didn't chew, I didn't go with girls to do. And uh, so, you know, I knew how to act, but, and I imagine most people thought I was a Christian, but mm. that was actually the moment. I, between the time the the tray started in the front row in those days and went back and forth in the pews, yep. and by the time it got back to me, I had, I had uh, said a prayer and asked for forgiveness and I became a Christian wow. during that communion service. Wow. Yeah. I need to hold that lunch after church thing over more people. Yeah, That's no, it's quite an well effect, done, Dad. <laughs> quite an effective thing. It keeps a guy in church a little longer. Yeah, That's great. Okay. 
And then you were a logger, if I remember correctly. And yeah. then So I went into the family business and uh, I was a logging contractor for years. My, and then our dad passed away from lung cancer, actually. And uh, and the three straw boys took over the company and expanded it and worked, got working in some other areas. And then um, in the early 1990s, uh, there was a period of time where a lot of people in Western Canada, I think... In Canada, generally, we're quite frustrated with the federal government. It was a conservative government at the time, but it didn't seem to be acting very conservatively. Hmm. And it was, uh, and we had record deficits and all kinds of problems. Constitutional frouhaha was going on everywhere, and people were, just, you know, I think we're looking for good government and and sound economic management, and we didn't see any of that. And so in the West, that manifested itself uh, in the Reform Party, uh, the mm-hmm. people that were frustrated with the status quo. So it was a new party. Uh, mentioned Preston Manning was the head of it. And in, and in Quebec, it was the Bloc Québécois because they were upset with the constitutional stuff. And mm-hmm. so they were a separatist party. And uh, in that election in 1993, which I ran in, they... Uh, uh, there was over 200 new members of parliament came in, and the the conservatives went from uh, a majority government down to two seats. Wow! So they're almost completely annihilated, and uh, and it was a kind of a you know the litmus test of of uh, those those issues and a bunch of other things too at the time. But uh, certainly uh, in the in the West here, if you ran as a member of the Reform Party, you had a chance of winning, and hmm. and that's what happened. I did. I won. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so I was there for six, I won six elections in a row there and then, yeah. then retired uh, in 2011. Six elections. Yeah. Yeah. Wild. Yeah. And and Reform Party shifted a couple times. Yeah, it became the Alliance. And then eventually the Alliance merged, if you will, with the Progressive Conservatives and, yes. and became okay. the Conservative Party. And uh, And it really had, you know, I was part of that movement to try to get the conservative movement back together again because as long as it's all split up you know you can't you can't win you your vote gets split it gets diminished and other parties can win with you know 30 percent of the vote because you've got conservatives split down the middle so putting it together is important and keeping it together if i had a word of advice for these new conservative leadership candidates you know your party unity is a major obligation as a leader you have Mm. to keep it together or you don't have a chance yeah yeah. Huh. Well, we'll certainly dive deeper um, than this next question. But to get us started, let's say you're in an elevator with somebody downtown. There's like 20 floors. And they're like, <laughs> you're Chuck Straw. And uh, they remember you from from your heyday of being on the news all the time, right. question period, and all that good stuff. Um, and they say, give me, give me a vision for faith and politics. And you've only got you only got a number of floors, or some dude I don't on a podcast yeah. is like, give me the quick version. What's how should we approach faith and politics? Right. <clears throat> well, the I don't have the eight second clip like I might have had at one time already, <laughs> but I would say you know the, a few things are that you know there's one is there's no there's no reason for Christians not to be involved or people of faith generally not to be involved in politics, not just Christians but other people of that have a strong faith. There's no reason not to be involved. And secondly, I think that your point of view is important because you, you represent um, hopefully a thoughtful uh, alternative to a secular status quo. So you're, you've, mm-hmm. you've got some other things to bring into the discussion. And thirdly, I would 
you know, in its best iteration, and this is this is not kind of the U.S. experience, but you know, in its best iteration, you can bring a a degree of um, kind of uh, kind of kindness and love to a, a situation that almost sees none of that. Mm. And uh, if it's done well, it's it's a very winsome thing. If it and uh, none of us do it perfectly, but when it's done well, it's 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 so different that it can be a winsome thing. And so I encourage Christians to involve themselves in politics at some level. Like you, you know, vote, the degrees are kind of, you know, you should always vote. Have a, have a you know, sincere look at people's platforms and their ideas and stuff and vote for the one that closely resembles something that you might like. Yeah. Um, and then if, if, you, if you're more serious, if, you, if it's your cup of tea, then get involved at some kind of organizational level, you know, get, help somebody pound in signs or go door to door or, or support someone financially or whatever it might be. And then of course, if you've, if you've really gone in and drank the Kool-Aid, you can, you can actually, you know, become a campaign manager or a candidate. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, that's a big degree of commitment. That's a lifestyle, lifetime commitment. So it's a big deal, but, but, you know, there's all kinds of different levels in, in that you can, you can get involved a little bit. You should, that's the minimum, I think. Or you can get, you know, go in to the deep end if you're, if that's yeah. what you like. And then, and there's rewards and, and difficulties and all of it. Right. Yeah. So to be, uh, in your mind, to be a kind of a responsible citizen living in, uh, we we're, we live in Chilliwack, the province of British Columbia, in the nation of Canada. Um, there should be there should be some engagement in political life um, as a, as just a, a good citizen living in these places. Right. Um, and as a Christian, how do, how is that flavored? You talked about bringing some some good or some humility or some, you know, kindness to platforms or, or scenarios that often don't have them. Um, what else shapes um, uh, sort of the Christian participation in politics? Well, I mean, I, you know, it, it can, I think it manifests itself in many different forms. Uh, one of the problems that we have in, in politics right now is that people expect uh, someone else, even in their own party, to adhere to a absolute, you know, Pharisee doctrine with the party. Like, you know, you have to agree, agree with every jot and tittle uh, in order to be considered a good character in that party. And like I say, the American experience, which I, I wish Canadians would not spend so much time looking at, yeah. is is that way in spades. But it's that way somewhat in Canada too. And mm. and I think for Christians, you should you should be quite not only understanding, but, you know, find out what it is that God ha would have you focus on. It won't be everything, but, you know, for some people, they'll say, well, you know, I think um, the economics and not obligating our our kids to pay for our excesses today is important. So finances are important. Economics are f important. Say, that's excellent. Say, the next person would say, well, yeah, but I want to look after the poor. It's a call from the Bible, and I yeah. think I should do that. Say, well, then you should. You should do that. That's your calling. And the you know the third person might say, well, I I want to look after the elderly. I mean, it's important. It's a, I feel it's a biblical call to mm -hmm. to look after people that can't look after themselves, and they've given us the country we have. And see, that's excellent too. Or it could be the environment. It could be it could be even good governance. All of these things, you know, you can find sound principles, uh, biblical principles that guide you in that. 
and none of them should exclude you from the public arena. They're, they're your reason you got involved. So if somebody says, I got involved because I, I think you need to be a good steward of the resources of that God has given us, either natural or otherwise, you say, well, then, then you should get involved at some level to make that happen because yeah. a lot of your world is going to be governed by politics. It You know, the right. church is has its role and, and your fellowship with other Christians is going to influence you and, and what you do. But let's face it, a lot of what you're allowed to do, how it's done and so on, is governed by government policies. So everything from what's allowed on the internet to what television stations you can get, it's all governed by somebody's policies that mm-hmm. got elected somewhere. And so you, you know, you, you should pay attention to that because it, it could affect everything from, you know, the, your tax status to your ability to gather together to your, you know, your, whether your church is going to be able to reach out or not. All of those things are influenced by government policy. It's not just airy-fairy. It's, I mean, this is nuts and bolts of how you live your life. So you should get involved and pay attention because if, if not, you'll be governed by those who do. That's right. Okay. And uh, I've heard it said that if you want to make the most difference, do it at the local level. Was that, would you agree with that or, or well, would you push awful, back on that? Yeah, no, an awful lot of what affects our lives is local. You know, so your fire protection, your police protection, how, your, how many potholes you got in your road, your, you know, your leisure facilities, your parks, recreation. That's all local politics. So, you know, local politics is extremely important. Mm-hmm. And it's also often where things, uh, things that start at the local level will manifest themselves later at, at senior levels of government. And so, you know, a policy that might seem, you know, say, well, it's only in Chilliwack, so it's not a big deal. Say, no, it's just a matter of time before that policy works its way up through the system. Because, you know, they're all listening to the same voter. And you, and so if you, you know, local politics is is an awful lot of your day-to-day life mm-hmm. is local. And I find that really people that have an interest usually gravitate to one of the levels of government. It's like they, they just say, That's you true. know, I'm, I'm worried about what's happening at the school board, local level. So I want to get involved right there and say, that's perfectly good. Next person, like myself, would say, well, I you know, I have concerns about the national government's whatever, their fiscal situation or their international relations or the state of the armed forces, whatever it might be that are, that's federal in nature. And, um, and then that becomes, you start to drill into it and then you get kind of specialized. Most of the time guys mm-hmm. stay in their lane. Yeah. Okay. So, so we're followers of Jesus. We, we love the Lord. Um, that should shape, um, you know, we could talk about worldview or whatever word we want to use. We, the, the, the lens by which we see the world is shaped by Christ and, and the Bible. We, we, we bring that into the political sphere. Um, how, should we, um, how should we approach the idea that these are our Christian values, um, but there are others who do not hold the faith, who do not have those values? Should we try and place our Christian values, uh, get, have those um, – uh, filtered through the government uh, uh, policy and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, some might see that as bullying if they look in at these Christians trying to perpetuate their fundamentalist yeah. views or whatever it might be. You, you know the accusations, but I'm just interested on your take of 
of how should Christians navigate um, their conscience, their views of what's best for society, and and approaching that in, in government. Yeah, well, I mean, when you get into elected office, you know, what's interesting, I, I used to say to, to folks, like, I'm a Christian MP. I never apologized that. And, I, of course, I came from a riding where you didn't have to apologize for it. You right. know, this is, at that time, at least, you know, 25, 30 years ago. This you probably was, wouldn't win the riding if you weren't. <laughs> well, yeah, it was right, the Bible, yeah. this yeah. is the Bible belt, right? right? So yeah. there's lots of, lots of Christians and lots of people of faith. And so it wasn't a, it wasn't a, a negative. It was, you know, at least a wash, uh, if you yeah. will. And so, you know, you got some of their votes and then others, um, maybe you didn't get them because, you know, they don't like Christians or whatever. But overall, it was it was fine. Less so in some other constituencies, you know, where yes. you, you, if you wear it on your sleeve and you and you try to use it as a bully pulpit, you, you won't win. I mean, yeah. typically, just, the closer you get to bigger cities, yeah, as well, it's right? just yeah. not going to happen. Eh? Uh, but but even even here, I used to say to folks who said, you know, why aren't you doing more to in their favorite Christian bailiwick? And I'd say, uh, you know, like I'm a Christian MP, but I'm not just the Christians MP. Like I got elected to serve this riding, this area. And so, you know, if somebody comes into my office and says, you know, I got a problem with the immigration department or the or the passport guys or, you know, some federal issue, they get served just as well and just as honestly and diligently as a Christian guy. I don't just serve the Christians. Yeah. I happen to be Christian. And uh, uh, and I think I found for the most part it was – you know, you you're really you're really emphasizing kind of Christian principles, not always reading people chapter and verse. You yes. know, I find that I found that people that that tried to use chapter and verse uh, from from the Bible often, you know, literally doing that, say they their audience tuned them out. Like you know, mm-hmm. you often you could you can earn that the right to say some stuff like that, but you but mostly people want to say you know, are you are you a bunch of things they, they uh, that they admire? Like, are you honest? Are you are you a straight shooter? Are yep. you you know? Are you consistent? Are you kind? Are you? There's a bunch of stuff. And then at the end of if they say that's absolutely true about him or her, then then at the end of the day they might ask you why that is. Why you know? Why do you do that when others haven't exercised themselves the same way? And and you you know you got you've now got, got a an audience you now get the right to say well you know this is the way I was raised this is what my principles that I'm taught in church and I know mm-hmm. I find them you know you can get into your faith at some degree because people have kind of asked about it almost right. otherwise though you're you're dealing dealing with you know when people say you shouldn't bring your faith into the into politics I say so which part do you, don't you like you want the part that says we should look after old people you don't like the part that says uh you know welcome the children and look after them and you want me to you know make what the part that says that we need to help the poor and the 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 foreigner i mean you you actually agree with all this stuff that's that's the truth yeah you may not like how where i come from on that i suppose but but really when you stick to your knitting like that You've got a big audience, you know, right, and true. I find if you emphasize that and and use and but the secret is consistency, and um, and none of us do it perfectly, unfortunately. But it's you know you gain an audience by being consistent and being proven. Yep. You know, it takes a while, and yep. then you over the years, you know, you 
you hope as a, not just as a politician, but as a human being that people say when he or she talks, uh, I listen because they, they have a track record that says they should be listened to. You know, they, mm-hmm. they live what they're talking about and they've done it consistently long enough that I think it's worth listening to. Yeah. 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 No, that's, that's very well said. Um, can we get in your, uh, you're not holding office. And so can we get into some provocative stuff? Uh, sure. See, <laughs> see, we'll see what happens. <laughs> well, you talk about the fact that I agree with you. Um, I mean, essentially, uh, in church history, uh, that's why we have, uh, education for all in, in our, you know, in, in many, you know, civilized nations, it's education for all. Uh, that's actually a Christian, uh, value and it was instituted. Same with hospitals, same with a lot of the universities. Yeah. And you can go on and on and on about the, the, um, the good done for, um, you know, the, 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 the broad, um, um, you know, population of people. Uh, Christians would go and care for the sick, whether they had money or not, like all yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah. And so those are values that people now look at as like they're no brainers. Well, of course, right? Um, of course, we should help the person who is sick and stuff like that. But that that's really a Christian value. And yet there there is in our moment, there's, there's certain, uh, you know, subject matter, um, bills being passed that, that that conflict with Christian values and, and, and it's, it's not such a given care for the yeah. widow or yeah. the foreigner, or although that's even up uh, uh, that can be contentious. Um, and so you were in office when I think, um, you know, the, the redefinition of marriage, for example, right. um, yeah. came along and, um, I mean, even, even, um, you can find a broad spectrum of, of Christians holding different values uh, about this or interpreting scripture differently, but sort of the, the historic Orthodox view would be one woman, one man. And right. here you are in office, uh, you're representing, is it Chilliwack Hope, Chilliwack Abbotsford? Uh, at different times, Abbotsford to Ashcroft, okay. uh, the, yeah. the riding shifted. It's, it was a shapeshifter. Right. Yeah. Okay. And then this is, uh, this is kind of, happening how do you how do you navigate that as a christian who wants to represent your riding um you have your own uh faith views about this uh elected into office public office and and how was that experience yeah well at the time it was a big issue you know in fact when it was first brought for parliament um uh as a motion that you know supported the definition of marriage as as between one one man and one woman and uh, and family was defined as those those related by love, marriage, or not my love by by marriage, or adoption, you know. So there was a family was even defined at that time, and uh, and so the when I first went there, we had the a vote early on in the nineties, and and it got support from all parties, you know, not not unanimous support, but it it, it was it passed, it was supported. But it just shows how much things have shifted. You know, nowadays, right. of course, that would never pass, uh, or never, never be accepted now. No. And uh, and at the time, you know, when I I voted in favor of the traditional de- definition, and but I found that even there, you know, the the ones that came out of came under a lot of criticism for their position is is once again is the ones with a holier than thou attitude, mm-hmm. like. It, I found if you just, you know, stuck to your knitting and just said, you know, well, you know, uh, if you said our, uh, our homosexuals, you know, homosexuals are loved by God too, you know, like, and right. they are, yep. 
you know, they're human beings. They are, they have relationships. And I, and I argued at the time, you know, the government may well choose, as other countries have done, to recognize some of those relationships and say, uh, you know, for, for tax purposes and for official government purposes, we're going to recognize that. And say, yeah, we don't have to redefine, I said at the time, you don't have to redefine marriage to do that. You, you can just move ahead with, in fact, that's how the initial approach was, was that somebody who had a, a dependent relationship on someone else said, well, you know, I don't, I don't have the same tax benefits as yeah, right. some, as a married or, couple. Or visiting a loved one and, or, you know, their partner in the hospital and yeah. being rejected, they're not family. Yeah, you, you know, you were you, you pretty heartbreaking, some yeah. of that stuff, right? Yeah. And so I said... I said at the time, well, you know, then we can recognize it. We can we can deal with that. That's a, a legitimate claim to me, I think, and because uh, you're representing everyone and yeah. you have to find a way to do that. But I said, it's not necessary nor wise, I thought, to redefine marriage in order to do that. Yeah. And uh, and uh, and in the early days that I was elected, that carried the day, if you will. But others, you know, others, if, you, if again, if you choose to be mean-spirited about it, you mm. know, you, I think for a lot of people are not, don't have a faith perspective of any kind, and they just see it as mean-spirited. It's just, right. it's just mean, right. and you sound like you hate people, and you, right. and so on, and, uh, and so whatever it is you're talking about, I've, I don't even know where you're going to go, but I reject it. You know, they just, it just is, it's not, mm. it's not winsome, it's not yeah. thoughtful, and uh, so people that went there, and there's still organizations that go there. It's the same on the abortion issue. You know, the, yeah. the reason I never joined some of the pro-life groups is that I found that that while I agreed with some of their objectives, that too many of them were mean. It was just mean. <laughs> like yeah. they talked about women in a way that was mean-spirited. Right. And they talked about... You know, the difficult, obviously agonizing decision that this woman is left with in Canada is she can have an abortion. So she's, it's an agonizing decision for, and, and instead of coming alongside her and saying, you know, what can I do to help? Is there, are there, is there financial worries? Are you, is there, is there anything I can do to help? They condemn her. You're right. And I just, you know, I'm just appalled at that as a Christian. Yeah. That, that to think that, you know, do you think that's what Christ would do? Right. That come along and kick somebody when they're yeah. down? I don't think so. Yeah. And so, you know, I I was always reluctant to join groups because I felt if I, once I joined, then they're speaking for me. And I I couldn't have that. And, yeah. and yeah. so, you know, sometimes those organizations wouldn't support me either. and say, well, that, that may be, but I'm not going to, I, I'm just warning you that although your position may be, fundamentally sound right it's it's not going to get an audience in a secular society if it comes across as mean-spirited or or right. worse and i would still say that to this day that, yeah. that's a problem that yeah. is difficult in any organization you somebody will speak up and then they're suddenly the spokesperson for the for the group and it, whether you want to or not that's the headline yeah 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 it's probably been one of my pastoral words of caution uh, that I've used the most the last couple of years is um, you can go about a good thing or a right thing in the wrong way and yeah. it w winds up being wrong. You know, in that sense of, hey, we believe in this this piece of justice over here 
Um, so we're going to slam the people over there. And it, it, you're using unchristian means for some Christian value you hold, but you're breaking yeah. all these other Christian values in the process. And I think that that's where um, politics and society has gotten extremely messy in the last couple of years is, is well, you know, for, regarding the abortion issue, which is brought all the way down to the sanctity of human life, that every life holds value and worth. Um, and, you know, the unborn are the most vulnerable Mm-hmm. Um, that's actually good advocacy uh, from a Christian perspective. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times the tactics, and you're speaking to this, some of the tactics used are so gross <laughs> yeah. um, that we're actually breaking a number of other Christian ethics that we've always held uh, in order to make that point. And, and that's the word of caution that, that I actually hear you giving is you can hold this conviction um, and it can be the value that you hold. And yet, uh, some folks would would have this holier than thou attitude, or or yeah. whatever it might be. Um, that's really interesting. Could you just speak to I? I'm I'm a little bit ignorant here. Uh, I'm often ignorant, uh, but um, this is one of those scenarios where we're so aware of what's happening in the states. Roe yeah. v. Wade being overturned uh, at the time of this recording. That's 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 very recent, um, and that's a federal that's a federal issue. So now it, it actually goes back to the states, individual states. So for a lot of the states, nothing changes that all, all that, um, but the states now have uh, the ability to um, to make decisions there rather than it be a federal law. Um, in Canada, a lot of times I hear there is no law. Is that true? Right. Well, because the the law. Lo- <clears throat> Excuse me. The law came to uh, came to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court said it was. This was before my time in politics. It said this is poorly written. We expect uh, the federal government to come back to us with a better law, something that's that is enforceable and is reasonable and so on. And because they had tried a couple of times, the government of the day had tried a couple of times to get legislation through unsuccessfully. They gave up. They just said, "Well, we can't do it." We just and so basically, the Supreme Court said, "You know, you need to come back with a law if you want to. It, that's better. That's a better uh, has is written better than this one." And uh, they just gave up. They just said, "Well, it can't be done." And we've hmm. tried a couple of times. So so then the court then just reads into it as they say it just reads in that say well then there is no governing legislation right now and so people at the more local or provincial level have even in canada also have rules and regs in place you know how how late in a term you can have an abortion the funding for it the availability of it is there's still it's still a a bit of a checkerboard uh, mm. approach in Canada as well, but at the federal level, there's no there's no crime, there's no sanction, and gotcha. so it, it ends up being what little regulation there is in Canada, and there's not much. It, it has to do with availability, um, late term issues, although less of that, more and right. more. But right. it there's, there's tends to be some indirect regulation, but it's not at a federal level. Okay. Um, do you have a word of advice? I, I really resonate with what I would consider uh, 
some might be offended by this, but just a balanced approach to what you're saying, holding these convictions, um, believing that they're ultimately for the flourishing of society, um, that actually Christian values in the public square are good for the public. I, I, I believe that. And yet, um, so many of the Christian values we hold is have to do with the dignity of others and, and, and the care. And I resonate with what you're saying about a vulnerable teen who's pregnant or whatever it is, a scenario that's, uh, I don't often think that Christians speak well enough or people who are pro-life speak, speak thoroughly enough about, um, you know, how hard that situation must be for so many people, um, with the sympathy there, um, in their vulnerability. But, but what with, so as nuanced as that topic is, uh, valuing human life, uh, not really having, uh, many regulations federally. Is there any words of wisdom you would give Christians who, who care for the most vulnerable, um, all the vulnerable, they should care for all the vulnerable mm-hmm. in, in Canada, including the most vulnerable. Uh, what would be your word of advice? How do you go about that in a political sphere? Well, <clears throat> I mean, there are, there are political parties that make that their main thing. You know, if you go to if the Christian Heritage Party, will have more emphasis on that than other parties, for example. And some have no, some want to, are quite clear that they don't want it's any a- regulation of any kind and, you know, it's none of our business kind of a thing. But I think for Christian in politics, you know, there is a, a, you know, I know people, again, may find it wishy-washy to have a middle ground on something that's so fundamental. But, you know, if you, if you don't have an audience, if you don't have anybody listening to you, you know, you're a tree falling in the forest with nobody there. Like it's, nobody's listening to you because you haven't presented it. Well, I remember the, when I, one of the first election, might have been the 93 election when I ran, and the, at that time um, uh, there was an activist women's group in Chilliwack, and so they had a, a debate, an all-candidates debate, which I attended, and of course they had, wanted to talk about abortion. One of the topics, but certainly it was, you know, it was, this was kind of a litmus test for each of the candidates for this group, this particular group. There's a big, big crowd there. There's probably, you know, a hundred plus people, which is a good sized crowd for a election campaign. And I remember, I remember at the time there was a case um, that had been in the public domain of a, of a woman that actually, actually shot her baby in the womb with a pellet gun. And um, the baby was born fine, but with a pellet embedded in its head. You know, oh, like wow. it, and I told that story because uh, it was, you know, it was relevant. It was recent in the news and so on. So I told the story and I said, now, we may all disagree on the outcome here, but can we all agree that this is the bad, bad outcome for this baby? That's what happened here. Nobody wants that to happen. None of you want this to happen. And the, the crowd listened. Like, none of them want that to happen. <laughs> yeah. No, they may have, they, their solution may have been that she should have had an abortion earlier, whatever else. I said, but here's, here's the issue. You know, this woman felt pressured to do this. She, mm. she took you know, the worst action, if you will. <laughs> they couldn't have, I can't think of a worse one, really, uh, almost. And... Uh, she, what was, what were the circumstances? Is, was she, did she have support? Did she have, did, did we look, you know, did we offer to look after her? Did we say 
there won't be a, a financial, in some some cases, a lifetime financial obligations for a single woman who who says, if I have this baby, I'll, I'll be relegated to work in a split shift as a waitress for the rest of my life. Say, well, then we need to help you. We need to we have an obligation so that you don't have to feel that way. And so we kind of went through that. And, you know, the, the crowd was polite uh, yeah. at the end. They just said... That's true. That's, you know, we don't want that to happen. And it's true. We should look at ways to help women who are faced with this tough decision. And it's true. You know, they kind of went, okay, okay, okay. And in the end, you know, we agreed to disagree. Like, I mean, uh, you know, I'm I'm not going to be an abortion advocate. On the other hand, you know, it, it doesn't hurt to put yourself in someone else's shoes a little bit here and say, if this woman felt that her, the father of this child was not supporting her, that her family had abandoned her, that the medical system didn't give her an option, that she had no social assistance. What was she supposed to do? And so, you know, we as as Christians say, well, let's take those off the table then. Let's make as much as we can make it make it not a tough financial decision for you. Not a not a let's not pass moral judgment on you let's let's not you know make you a pariah for this let's see how we can help you maybe there's things we can do maybe there's not and in a society like canada that means there will be some abortions but wouldn't it be better i argued at the time that wouldn't it be better to say at least it wasn't forced on her because she had no other option hmm. wouldn't it be better as a christian to say you know you're welcome in our church and we'll help you, and we will give you support. And not just that day, but onward and yeah. ongoing, yeah. because we know it's a tough, tough road you've chosen, which we appreciate, and your child will really appreciate, but but you're not going to be going through this alone. You're, you're going to have a bunch of people that are in your corner in tangible ways to make your life better and yeah. easier and yeah. more more possible. I find that argument, you know, someone might say, well, I still like abortions and say, well, okay, we're going to have to disagree, agree to disagree. But if we could agree on these 10 steps that would help single women with difficult choices, let's do those together. Let's work on those together. And then, you know, we will maybe disagree on the end conclusion. But I think overall, you know, if we we reduced the number of abortions because of that in half, if we cut them in half— wouldn't that be a great day for you, you you people over there, and for me on my side of the table too? We'd, we'd both win. That's right. And and I wish people would would take that approach more often than standing outside the abortion clinic yelling "baby killer" at every woman right, that walked right, in. Right. Yeah, agreed. And I think that that's that's also very rare. You look, I, you know, make the case from from church history again, and it was just already in the first second century, uh, Christians were going to the trash heaps in places like Rome and picking up discarded infants who are female or just unwanted um, and would bring them home and embrace them into their families. Um, I look today and there's pregnancy clinics in nearly every community Mm -hmm. around run by Christians who genuinely want to help young women in need. Um, There are, um, if you look at the foster adoption system, you'll find more Christians than anybody yeah. uh, fostering and adopting. Well, that's why uh, there's, so there's lots that's of, the beautiful side. Yeah, and of, there's of lots and lots of Christians that go at this right. That, I don't yeah. want to condemn everybody. That's right. I mean, yeah. they go at it right. And they, you know, and, and I think as, I think they'll, they're the ones that are going to get the well done, good and faithful servant at the end. Because they've, they've said, you know, I didn't, 
I didn't come to, con- or, you know, in, the, in their human way, I didn't come to condemn you. Mm-hmm. I came to help you. Mm-hmm. And that is, that message has a chance of being received. The message that says, you know, I'm here to condemn you. I'm, you can read my lips and you are us. Yeah. Hell-bound person for the, you say, well, now the doors are yeah. really open now, aren't they? Yeah. You yeah. know, they just, you, you just, you've, you know, you've got the, uh, a narrow path that they can't see a way through for, uh, for right. themselves. Right. And uh, you're going to, there's going to be a lot of people not make it through that right. narrow path. Those are individuals who are great at communicating the law, terrible at communicating the gospel. Yeah, well, there's, you know, like I say, none of us do it perfectly, no, of course. No, so, and that's no. the, you know, that's the, I'm sure as a, as a pastor, you know, you, you face this on a weekly basis. You get up in the pulpit and you have to say, you know, I'm, in a sense, you're speaking for God there. You know, you're interpreting his word. And, right. and so it's a onerous thing. Different than a politician, you know, like I, I used to say, you know, I'm, I gave speeches every day, many of them sometimes in a day. But, you know, the, the obligation on me wasn't quite quite the same. A pastor, he's got a, he or she's got a big obligation, you know, because they, they get up there and they say, what I say here really matters for eternity, so I better get yeah. it right. Yeah. Uh, a politician, you know, you're, you're just espousing ideas, yeah. you know, and just a kind of in general. I think general. politicians and pastors all feel lonely and critiqued. Is that fair? <laughs> well, there's you know there's often often like I was in three different ministries, not not in the pulpit and not in the pastoral ministries, but you know ministries are are that that way as well. You know you you the buck stops there, and you you know I, I, in some ways I think you you are held accountable for what you do and don't do, and should and should be yep yep. And it is, yeah. I mean, that's why I, at our church, I go, I go text by text, whatever verses are next. And my job that week is to, is to interpret those rightly. And then you can go up and say, thus saith the Lord, this is what God says. Um, and so, um, and then the, the task really is to point people back to, to the word and say, you're, you're actually, your issue isn't with me. If I really believe that I, I, I'm interpreting the text rightly, and this is God's word, um, your issue isn't with me, it's with the Lord and it point them back to yeah. The scripture, so that that's where my my solace comes from. But it can be it can be challenging. That's well, for sure. And it, and it, you know, and we all know the case. Again, people watch too much American television, and you know they'll find somebody who beats a particular issue or verse to death. And, right. You know, the Bible. I find the Bible is very balanced. You know, if you if right. you read through it and you are honest, you know, you, there'll be there'll be a call to a certain course of action. You know, and and juxtaposed to that is. You know the overarching theme of yes, okay. Now, have you acted in a loving way, a kind way, an understanding way? Have you reached out to your enemies? To you know, because in politics, you know, people are they're cast into categories of you know, you're the enemy or the or you're the friend, and and like I say, increasingly, people are. The litmus test for even, and I would say this is the problem even for the left, if you want to call it that, the, you know, the woke uh, crowd that's out there. You say, unless you adhere jot and tittle to what they are saying you have to do, then then they will banish you from their group. And so you, you'll get somebody like J.K. Rowling that's banished, even though she's she's very, uh, has a very pro-LGBT uh, Agenda. She's very been very vocal about that, but she's not in favor of some of the transgender stuff that's out there right now. 
And the consequence for that is when they celebrated the 20th anniversary of her books, that she was not invited to come to the celebration because she's not, uh, she's not perfectly woke. Hmm. You know, she's hmm. sort of woke, but they're, they are judgmental on that side uh, just as much as sometimes the people on the right end of the political spectrum are the same. They say, well, you haven't agreed with me on oil extraction, not perfectly, so I, you know, get, be gone. Right, they say, well, right. come on, I mean, can't we have a talk about that? I mean, yeah. surely there's some discussion about the, how many parks we need. This yeah. isn't a biblical in, hmm. you know, issue. This is a, an issue of public policy. We could surely have a discussion, but, but in some circles you can't. You either right. agree with the leader or agree with the party 100%, or you are kicked out. Yeah, yeah. And yet we have a we have a a guiding principle of love God, love neighbor, uh, love enemy, forgive enemy, and uh, so that actually, um, you know, in a cancel culture, that's actually pretty compelling. Is is if we can if we can live by that, that looks very different. Um, in the states, there's sort of this two party system. Uh, I love that Canada doesn't yeah. have that. You're blue or you're red. You're the what is it, a donkey or an elephant or yeah. whatever it is, right? Yep. And um, I've been told that like forty percent of people in the states will uh, live and die Democrat, and forty percent will live and die Republican, and then billions of dollars are spent to try and convince the twenty percent to shift on right. any particular election or whatever it is. And it's like you are this thing, and then there will be Christians who are like, you can't be a Christian if you're a Democrat. Yeah. And yeah. then there are like Christians who vote Democrat that are like, you are so narrow, you whatever. Um, and it's just talk about enemies, right? Talk about um, difference. Um, can a Christian vote NDP in Canada, Chuck? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I'm I, saying that facetiously. Yeah. But you said earlier, like things like, um, you know, like uh, the social gospel or whatever, or care for the yeah. poor and structures for the poor. Um, in some ways, you might be able to say, well, the NDP do that most. But in other ways, you might say, well, uh, fiscally responsible conservatives will lead to, you know, like different different agendas, different paths to oftentimes care for everybody. But how should Christians view that in, in the Canadian context? Uh, yeah. Give us your insights. Well, uh, and of course, I was I was a ref- member of the Reformed Party and then eventually a member of the Conservative Party, and so people know my my bent. Uh, but that said, you know, I, there are good Christians in all parties. There really are. You know, I met them over the years, and they're very sincere. And you know, it's hard to lambaste somebody who says I'm a member of the NDP party and I spend my weekends at the Salvation Army feeding poor people, and to say, you know, terrible. <laughs> hey, you know, that's wonderful. I mean, that's wonderful. Yeah, right. And you know, those of us on the conservative end of the of the spectrum, you know, for example, even on the environment, you say if you look around the world, the countries that have that have no flexibility on the fiscal front are the ones that have an economic or have a environmental disaster on the geo, you know, on the geopolitical side. They just, they just don't have the money to look after it. They don't have the, the will to do it. If somebody says, you know, here I am in Brazil and I'm living on a buck a day and I, and I've got a forest in front of me and I can clear it and put a couple of cows on there. Well, that's what I'm going to do. It's survival. You know, we in the, in the rich West, if you will, we we just we say well we have options you know we mm. can create a park of ten thousand acres or ten thousand square miles and we can look after it because we have the resources to do it so you know the conservative part of me says and then 
a lot of good things happen when you look after your finances. But that's just me. You know, someone else might say, well, yeah, that's what you say. But, you know, we still don't have, take your pick, uh, uh, an ecological reserve on the Pacific Ocean. And, and we just have to. And I feel very strongly about it. And I, no one else will talk about it except my local NDP candidate. So I'm going to go with him or her. I say, well, you know, I mean, if, if it's, that's what turns your crank and it's, you know, you, you are focused on that, then, you know, having that issue brought up is not, not a bad thing. <laughs> yeah. That, you know, I have, again, I have my own reasons for being where I am politically, but I, I never give a talk, especially not in a church setting that says you should support this, you know, political party A or B. I say, you should look at their platform. Yeah. You really should. Yeah. And you should more than just read the Twitter account of somebody else that's probably full of it. Yeah. You, you know, you, you should be thoughtful about it and yeah. having been thoughtful, make your decision. And, hmm. but anyway, there are, there are Christians in all political parties. That's for sure. Um, in the conservative government under Stephen Harper, you served in various capacities, including uh, Minister of Agriculture, uh, Minister of Indigenous and Northern Affairs, and Minister of Transport, Infrastructure, and Communities. Um, at the time of this recording, Pope Francis just recently apologized for the role the Catholic Church played in residential schools in Canada, like just earlier this week. Um, something Stephen Harper did on behalf of the Canadian government um, uh, of their uh, utilization of indigenous reg residential schools, but he made that apology in 2008. Um, well, you were the Minister of Indigenous Affairs, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. That was uh, monumental, um, and yet there's still so much to be done to truly bring reconciliation and chart a new path together as Canadians. What do you recollect about that time, that significance, and yeah. and maybe any other kind of word you might have yeah. to loving our well, Indigenous you know, neighbors? I, it is interesting to me that uh, this path of reconciliation, and it's a, it's a path, not a, not a particular moment in time. No, it's, like not, it's a yeah. journey, if you will. People are right in that. But I, I sometimes think that, you know, people put um, almost too much emphasis on, you know, what's the government going to do or even what's the church going to do mm -hmm. and not enough on what I'm going to do. Hmm. Like they, it's somebody else's job, they say. And I, and I, you know, reconciliation is, if ever there was a concept that is rooted in Christianity, I mean, the whole the whole New Testament story, you know, the whole Testament, the whole biblical story is about reconciliation. Yeah. It's about reconciling, you know, sinful mankind with a righteous God. And is there a way to do that? And so, you know, in, in Christian circles, we say, well, yes, there is, or, you know, there's a, there is a way to do that. And it's called forgiveness. And it's, people expressing their sorrow at what they've done or way they are and getting forgiveness from God, mm. you know, in, in the case of the New Testament scriptures. Um, I don't want to say there, there's, there's a huge cost, but not to you. Like it's an, uh, an oddball thing. It's reconciliation. All you have to do is apologize and, and understand your position, if you will, vis-a-vis -vis God. And then the, the forgiveness is yours to acquire. Mm. And, you know, the when you look at, especially for Indigenous people, I've always felt that all the language that is surrounding this issue is spiritual. It's about reconciliation. And they talk about honor and 
talk about prayers, respect for the elders, the um, on and on. It, it just there just seems to be a, a lit a list of things, all of which are kind of spiritual in nature. Hmm. And so hmm. then the solution is a government law, <laughs> right. or a regulation, or even money. And it's seldom that. Right. You know, it, it, it may be part of it and a very necessary part of it, but uh, and often is. But but I think people where I saw most lives changed is is when people dealt with were dealt with at that spiritual level. And so you you know, you you you'll go to nowadays you go to a public meeting and there's often a uh, indigenous prayer that starts it. You know, they they these are spiritual things. No government is any they're no good at this like the the <laughs> government is the government's good at at committees and legislative options and legal precedents and and all this kind of stuff regulations you know different things you say that's not where the discussion is the discussion is i was hurt yeah. i feel hurt yeah. i have generational impacts on me i have you know I have not been dealt with honorably. I have, I ask for, they'll talk about the honor of the crown. They'll talk about, you know, and they'll want prayer and they'll want, these are all spiritual things. And reconciliation, uh, you know, so it's a two-edged thing here. I think governments do it poorly. And I think sometimes, uh, in part because people have been dealt with at an institutional level, either in the institution of church or the institution of government, that they can't see their way th- clear to accept the apology and accept and and grant the forgiveness. Hmm. This is this is a block, a blockage that it's hard to overcome. You know, and I and I don't pretend there's an easy way to do it because people have suffered, you know, so deeply and sometimes generationally. It truly is because you say you yeah. know they'll, they'll talk about the day that. The day the laughter died in my community is the day they came and took all the kids away. So I, when people say, well, when they should get over it, say, let me tell you, how would you be with you or your grandchildren, depending on your age? I have 13 grandchildren. What would I think if they came in one day and hired and just loaded all 13 of them into a bus and charted them off somewhere and I never saw them again? I'd probably turn to the bottle, you know, or drugs or hate or right. whatever. I think I would because right. I I have no room in my head for that, and that happened everywhere. Yeah, and so people have trouble, you know. The and governments, unfortunately, we all want governments to fix these things. And I think, especially for Christians, if all, of any group of people should understand what's involved in reconciliation, it should be Christians, and they're not sometimes as understanding as they should be on this file. Mm-hmm. And they they should say I understand what reconcil what uh, what it takes to have reconciliation, and I personally am prepared to do that. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, people will lecture me to this day. I'll, once in a while, I'll get a lecture about you know we should have done more or whatever else, and I'll say you know you're lecturing me. When was the last time you were in a First Nations house? Yeah, yeah. I say well, I've never been in their house. I never stop at their reserve. I never have any interaction with them. What I know, say you know nothing. Right. You know squat is what you know, and and you until you get to know them and to yeah. and to 
truly try to understand where they're coming from, then I don't think reconciliation will take place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had an Indigenous friend of me, uh, we were having a good conversation about reconciliation and what it would take, and he looked over at me and he said, uh, uh, what reserve is closest to your house or what land are you on? That kind of stuff. I was like, mm. you know, was just like, stop me in my tracks, right? Now I know it's Chiacton and, it's, you know, I know more about... Uh, a lot of the things and just learning. And I think I, I really appreciate what you're saying because uh, the government can do um, its part, yeah. but but that's not really the heart of of reconciliation. I think reconciliation is is love your neighbor and have yeah. relationship and hear story and therefore care and yeah. love and have sympathy and build bridges. And you know, the the, the most successful uh, settlement of a First Nation uh, claim during my time was was the implement, implement, me, implementation agreement of the Northern Cree Agreement in Northern Quebec. The agreement had, was 20 years old, and we had never in that department been able to implement it. it was, there was an agreement, and they'd never been able to put the details together to pay out. It was a billion and a half dollars, which was in the, at its time was the biggest settlement in Canada. And the way that one was settled eventually is we got rid of all of the typical negotiators. All the negotiators were pushed aside. And the person that was put in charge of that, we put a diplomat in charge, an ambassador, former ambassador. Hmm. And he, what he did, I asked him, well, how do you get this solved? It's all settled. You know, we settled the whole thing, 20 years of failure, and you settled it in two years. He says, well, I spent a year and a half. All I did was I went to, I went hunting with them. I went fishing with them. I went to their cultural cer- ceremonies. I went to a wedding. I went to, uh, you know, on and on it went for a year. Of course, we're paying them like $2,000 a day for this, right? I said, you know, I mean, this is, who knows? We'll probably pay $100,000 to this guy to have cultural experiences on the reserve. And after a year and a half, the chief turned to him and said, uh, Raymond, he says, I guess we should put this implementation deal together, eh? He says, well, whenever you're ready, chief. And in six months, it was done. Six months. Because he established a relationship first. And then based on the relationship, then we got into the nuts and bolts of the details. But it all starts with a relationship. And I would say to Christians, if you're wondering why you don't get along with your Aboriginal neighbor, is because you haven't worked on the relationship first. Mm -hmm. Work on that first. And then, then you can deal with some of the nuts and bolts of the other stuff. But yeah. if there's no relationship, any deep success, any, any significant success is unlikely. Right, right. That's great. Well, we should land the plane, but before we do, what do you make of the F. Trudeau um, stickers and all that kind of stuff that's everywhere yeah. or the sort of... Uh, divisiveness over the Canadian flag yeah. going on right now. What's just as a politician, you were in Ottawa, you were very close to a prime oh, minister yeah. at a time or yeah. multiple prime ministers um, like, or hate, or hopefully not hate, but like, or dislike Trudeau. Um, you probably can uh, sympathize a little bit with <laughs> across the nation. He's got well, young kids having yeah. this like F Trudeau everywhere. What you do know, you make of that stuff? I said to, I have said in times past, all party leaders deserve our respect. Uh, I mean, you don't have to love them, but I mean, you have to, I shouldn't say that. We're commanded to pray for them. That's right. Yeah. And, and, and want the best for them. Like, who would say, I'd like, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, I'd, I hope so-and-so gets run over by a bus and say, well, you know, that's not, that's not, a, not only not a Christian perspective, but it's not, 
they've got a tough, tough job. You know, they, it's trying to, in a country as diverse as Canada, they're trying to find a path forward. And so it's a tough job for all of the leaders of all of the parties. So I, they all have my sympathy and, uh, and respect at one level, at, at some level. But the, you know, again, the people that, that go to the F. Trudeau stuff and, and are blocking him from going to meetings or, or you know, that's happening occasionally too where, you know, it's, it's like a cancel culture of its own, right? Or you just, I'm going to stop that person from meeting with his or her political followers. Say, well, that, that's cancel culture again now. You, the stuff that you decry, is, you're doing it yourself. And, and uh, you know, for the... You know, this is this is the worrisome thing to me is that you know what we don't need to do is import American style politics into Canadian the Canadian realm. We are a, a kind of a quieter and gentler country have been, and you know typically you know uh, you know we accept other positions. I ran against a guy in 1997 who's changed his name to Satan. Like I ran against a guy whose first name was Sa, last name was Tan, Satan. He would come to all candidates' meetings dressed in a full devil's costume. He he came to the ministerial association in Chilliwack, held a all candidates' meeting. He came with a couple of nearly nude women to the to the uh, who he said were his disciples, and they came to the all candidates' meeting. And he got his time on the on the podium. It was outrageous, and yet you know what? It was still allowed to speak. He was, you know, he was had filled out the forms. He had got the signatures. He had, and so although he was, you know, wasn't appreciated, and he only got like, you know, a hundred votes in the end because he was just a, it was a, you know, he was doing it because this was the Bible Belt. But you know, if we can, we you know we we dealt with that properly at the ballot box. He got like 0.1% of the vote, <laughs> and he was never seen again. Right. In Canada. You beat the, Satan that year. Pardon me? You beat Satan that year. I defeated Satan You defeated Satan. Yeah. yeah. Although, you know, in the end, we we actually had a... That's why some see you as their savior around here, Chuck. <laughs> Not hardly. But we did, you know, we, we did at the... After every election, there's an analysis of what went right and what went wrong. There's a committee of parliament that looks at it, and I put an issue before the committee that one of the problems we had in those days is that to get a hundred signatures, you didn't have to prove those hundred signatures were on the voters list. And Satan had put a hundred bogus signatures down. And so uh, we changed the law so that before the returning officer accepts your nomination papers, he he or she first checks to see that they actually have legitimate signatures. So I tell people, Satan made it, meant it for evil, but we turned it for good. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> anyway, amazing. But I, I, I wish, and I hope that Christians are not involved in this. Uh, you know, just think to yourself, is this, is this how a, a Christian should act? You know, the, the F. Trudeau stuff, the... Uh, you know, people wishing people dead, so to speak. Uh, you know, if I had my chances, I would do something horrible. Say, you know, give your head a shake. This is not a Christian. Christians, Christians' role is not to achieve power for power's sake. That's what they wanted Christ to do. You know, they actually tried to drag Christ off and make him the emperor. You know, right. like, it, and he refused. He said, that, "I'm not in this for the power." You know, it's not. Christians shouldn't be in this for the power trip. You know, you're in here 
to show the other side, what can be possible, which is a, you know, all the tender side of mm. of the human race. Can you can be the epitome? You can be the not the epitome of it. The 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 example of that in a in a sport that is anything but. So you should not be part of viciousness, and you should not be part of conspiracy theories and you shouldn't be part of you should be thoughtful and and all the things that you would wish your politician was thoughtful considerate um, broad-minded kind all those things then you should be that too Mm. and so i'm i'm appalled at that stuff and it doesn't mean i don't want to defeat trudeau i'm a conservative and i hope the conservatives win next time but i you know i don't want to do it at the expense of selling my soul Mm. Well, I could keep you here for hours. Uh, I won't, uh, but I could keep chatting about all this stuff. But I want to give you a final word, uh, maybe a timely word from your vantage point, um, all that you've seen over the last two, three years. What would be a word that you would give Christians as it pertains to faith and politics in our moment? Well, I mean, when you say the last two or three years, you're talking the COVID period, right? Really? Well, yeah, I mean, but it was such a collision of you know yeah. a, a number of things well uh, a couple things you know you, you should uh, Christians should know where they stand like don't don't just sit there with your mind in neutral hoping someone's going to fill it full of useful information you know you need to read your Bible you need to listen to thoughtful people who who have read their Bible and who have, you know, have wrestled with some of these issues and have found a path through it and stuff. You need to be, you need to know where you stand. So, so listen to those people, read the Bible, find authors and others who are, present a thoughtful uh, point of view. I, I I read a guy down in the States, he's not a Trump supporter, he's a a Republican. Um, He's argued before the Supreme Court, he's a lawyer. And I just find a you know he's just a thoughtful guy that says I don't support you know I, I don't support an individual just because they have the Republican on the ballot I support them because they they there's a bunch of characteristics that, like their their character actually matters to me and he and so I follow this guy because I find it useful for me uh, to learn and uh, study the American system a little bit but. Uh, and same with Canadian. I've you know I've always respected guys like Preston Manning who have mm-hmm. have written about faith and politics and how to do it well. And his family has got a history of lifetime of doing this. And to see him at in his seventies now more respected now probably than ever before because he's he's consistently given a uh, you know showing a path that where you can be a Christian and yet you can still be a decent human in politics, which is a blood sport. and uh, But in the same way, you know, it's the same admonition in a different way you would give to, you know, church leaders, to family leaders, organizational leaders, and so on. You know, you shouldn't have to be told to be a nice person. <laughs> you should you should be championing all the stuff that is good, all the stuff that is kind, and the stuff that is yeah. of good report. You should be known for that. And then, if somebody says, I'm not surprised, it wouldn't be nice if they said, I'm not surprised to find out he's a Christian because that's the way a Christian should act. Yeah. So anyway, my in this vicious, it is a vicious time and social media has made it worse because there's very little meaningful discourse and debate. There's, 
it's all down to 44 characters and how much you can slag someone in that amount of time. And I'm glad I'm not in that world because I don't, I don't, it's hard to build relationships in that kind of a world. Mm. Um, but, you know, I just encourage people to say, don't, don't take the bait, you know, understand what, what you should be doing and you should be acting Christianly in a non-Christian environment, which is politics or a a multi-faith environment or a secular environment. But you should be, I hope in the end, people will say, um, I've been watching this person, this man or woman, and I've been watching it and I like what I see. They're a decent human being and they treat people well and say, boy, wouldn't it be be great if they say, and and when you find Christians in politics, that's the way they act. It's a wonderful thing. Well, that's a great final word. Jeff, thanks so much for having this conversation well, with thanks me. Thanks for having me. Well, that was more than I could have bargained for. That was a robust conversation about faith and politics with a man who has given decades of his life to public service and given his life to Christ ever since that one communion Sunday. That's so good. Whether it's clarity about the Canadian political system, wisdom about how to navigate faith and politics, insights about particular bills and issues, or a prophetic corrective to some of the ways Christians may be wandering from our calling in our political landscape today, all of it's there. So again, a big thank you to Chuck Strahl for joining me and to you, the listener, for sticking it out in what might be our longest episode ever. It flew by for me and hopefully for you as well. So let's get this episode out there. Share it on social media. Send it to people in your life who may be helped by it, who may need it or appreciate it. Your grassroots commitment to this podcast and getting it out there is so awesome. And I thank you. Next up on the pod will be a faith and politics part two of sorts. I preached a sermon in the summer of 2021 on politics that we will release as a deep thought episode in the coming days. It's something of a theology of politics, and I think it'll be a great companion to this episode. Thanks for listening to Deep Thoughts. I hope it helps you in fostering deep faith. Very deep. Thank you.